Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Ah, late summer, when the internet's thoughts turned to Hollywood mergers and their related fallouts. Hasbro, owner of pretty much every toy property that I grew up with, just bought Studio Entertainment One, which owns kitty properties like Peppa Pig and PJ Masks. They also own Trailer Park Boys, and now I can't decide if I want to see the Transformers crossover with Peppa Pig or with Bubbles and Ricky. Everyone on the internet has recently become an expert in either prognostication, recrimination, or both, as it's been announced that the deal between Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures, which allowed Spider-Man to appear in MCU films, is now off. It seems like Disney was maybe getting a little too greedy in the deal, but going forward, Sony had better hope they've got a real gold mine in that Mobius the Living Vampire flick. And of course, the big news relevant to Star Trek fans is that CBS and Viacom are finally uniting under one banner in a $27 billion all-stock deal. The merged company will go by Viacom CBS. We've reported on this in the past. The general thinking, at least from the board of CBS and now former and disgraced chairman and CEO of CBS, Les Moonves, is that it would have been a bad deal for the CBS side. But with his exit, the way was clear for Sherry Redstone, head of parent company National Amusement along with her father Sumner Redstone, to finally reunite the two entities that were split off from each other in 2006. Sherry Redstone will be the chairwoman of the new Viacom CBS, and Bob Bakish will serve as CEO of the combined company. Consolidations are happening left and right these days as the face of entertainment is changing. One reason for the merger is ostensibly to remain competitive against other media conglomerates like Netflix, Disney... 7-Eleven, probably. I don't know. This merger will bring Viacom's cable channels like Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, and MTV, plus Paramount Pictures, together with the CBS Network, Showtime, and the CBS Radio properties. And dust has not settled yet on the acquisition's front, as Sherry Redstone is rumored to be on the hunt to acquire other outlets like Lionsgate Pictures, the Stars Network, and Take-Two Interactive, the parent company of Rockstar Games and the 2K brand. Why should you care? It's a good question. We've talked in the past few weeks on this show about the new Star Trek Global Franchise Initiative, or whatever they're calling it, asked Nick Fury, and the attempt to marvelize, to coin a term, the franchise of Star Trek. And we're not going to debate on this show whether that's a good or bad thing, but we will definitely have an episode addressing that in the future. But the upshot is that with this merger, Star Trek TV, i.e. CBS, and Star Trek Film, that is Paramount Studios, are now under the same roof. It's kind of like uh, Spider-Man finally showing up in the MCU. It means all the avenues are now open for Alex Kurtzman and company to explore and expand the universe and the franchise. Now, a couple of thoughts. First of all, do we want Alex Kurtzman back in Trek movies? I mean, I've charted on this show my long, tortuous journey to developing a sort of grudging respect for the Kelvin Universe films, but... Alex Dark Universe Kurtzman might be better off in a check signing role and not contributing creatively for that uh, or bringing his buddy along, Damon Lindelof. <laughs> also, I don't think that Trek TV and Trek Film being administrated by separate companies was ever really the real problem, was it? I mean, those companies were technically owned by the same parent company. If there'd been a good idea for a Trek film that would have involved the Trek TV franchise in some capacity, they would have found a way to make it happen. Instead, Star Trek Beyond underperformed, J.J. Abrams defected to the competition, and CBS, Brian Fuller, and the Kurtz put their heads together to relaunch Trek on the small screen. But don't tell me that paperwork was the problem. If Spider-Man can show up in four MCU movies, we could have had some kind of TV and film Trek synergy if there'd been a show on to synergize with. Anyway, it's immaterial now because Trek TV is up and running. Everyone's waiting for a Trek film, Tarantino or no, and Viacom CBS is already making noises in that direction with new CEO Bob Bakish already talking about the potential in the franchise. What will that mean for us, the humble Trek audience? It's hard to say. 
Here's some predictions by me off the top of my head, though. um, Like I said, we'll absolutely have a show on this specifically in the future. First, movies. We're going to get more movies. I still think that we would have got them anyway, but we'll get them sooner now. That's the good news. The bad news? No S.J. Clarkson. No Pine. No Hemsworth. Honestly, I think the Kelvin universe is dead for good as far as movies go. I know they just announced a couple of Kelvin universe books. But those were written a while ago. And I don't know how close the publishing arm is with like the M&A division. Who knows? Trek's pretty good at vertical marketing, but having new bosses, you know, it feels like we got a new broom sweeping clean uh, situation to me. So we'll see. Um, Despite my predictions, I don't want to see that happen. I think the Kelvin crew should get another voyage. But it might be a while because the cast are all doing other things and we don't have a Captain Kirk. Second, we will see Picard again on the big screen. Going back to that idea of vertical marketing and the capriciousness of mergers and sex criminal CEOs, I bet Michael Shaben and the Kurtz are smacking their foreheads right now about how they could have had a V8 and how Picard could have been a movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very excited for the show. I think that Picard, uh, especially a Picard who's presumably not going to be shooting Tommy guns, should be on an episodic show. But reboots and nostalgia are the driving factors in content creation in Hollywood these days. Star Trek The Next Generation was a phenomenon in its time. Everybody watched it. Captain Picard is one of the most recognized and well-loved characters of the last century. Patrick Stewart is everyone's favorite actor. And 35s and ups have their kids. They've got their disposable income. And they would, in my opinion, totally show up for seeing Picard again on the big screen. And I think that Viacom CBS is going to do that math. Third... And this is the pill that you're going to have to swallow. We will absolutely be getting a next-gen Kelvin-style reboot in the near future. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, you say. You said, host of this show, that the Kelvin universe was dead. Why would they do Kelvin TNG? The Kelvin films are dead. I think that they'll keep doing books and comics and so on. But just like Captain Picard is forever enshrined in our hearts, so are Riker, Troy, Data, The Enterprise D, Wesley, maybe not Wesley, but TNG as a whole still looms large in the hearts and minds of the viewing public and the fan base. Is it a good idea? It is not a good idea, (laughs) but but it will happen. Much like Sony telling Disney what to do with their MCU, uh, it's maybe the right thing, but it's not like a smart thing in terms of seeing a good Spider-Man movie. Uh, The first two Kelvin Universe films made almost a billion dollars worldwide, so they will totally convince themselves that it's a good idea to do a TNG film reboot and fans will be split down the middle, but it will make a ton of money. So start your dream casting lists now because it's going to happen. So there you go. Those will not happen. Probably. These are my crazy predictions. It's like one of those YouTube conspiracy Trek videos, doom dick or, or whatever, only a million times more respectful. It might happen. It might not, but you can rest assured that Trek will continue to be bigger than ever. Before we get to our feature this week, I wanted to take a second to welcome a new program to our network, the Just Enough Trope Network. As you may know, we have a show called Backtrekking, which is at at Backtrekking2Ks on Twitter. On that show, we examine the inspirations behind classic episodes of Trek. I co-host that show with Gooey Fame, and Gooey has another podcast that's called Virtual Theater that he hosts with Andy Spiteri, which has now joined the Just Enough Trope Network. Keep up now. Virtual Theater is a podcast that examines video game movies as well as the video games that they're based on. Your Dooms, your Super Marios, your Mortal Kombats, so on and so forth. They're actually covering Mortal Kombat this week, so head to twitter.com forward slash virtual theater X to get a hit of that 90s nostalgia. Your soul is mine. And you can also vote on what they should cover on future episodes. It's a really fun, unfiltered show. I highly recommend it. Welcome to the Just Enough Trope Network, guys. Hope you survive the experience. Speaking of networks, we're still plowing ahead with this crazy dream of internet radio domination. So if you haven't yet, please take our brief survey about your listening habits. There is a link in the show notes. You can click on that or you can find our pinned post on our Twitter at twitter.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. Okay, This week on the show, we continue our exploration of diversity in Trek. Diversity is not just an old, old wooden ship. It also comes in many forms, not solely limited to race, creed, sex, gender, or religion. Trek has done a fairly good job of addressing physical and ideological diversity on its various programs. But what about neurodiversity? 
It's easy to depict the Bajorans as an oppressed and spiritual minority or use Frank Gorshin's face to illustrate the racial divide, but how does Trek go about portraying individuals who don't classify as neurotypical? After speaking with Liz and Annika of Antimatter Pod last week about the TNG episode Sarek, I got to thinking about the Vulcans and their relationship with emotion and how characters like Spock and Data and Seven of Nine mirror the real-world experiences of people on the autistic spectrum. Trek has used a lot of pointed allegory in its 50-plus years, but has it ever tried to depict autism, and has it already done so without intending to? That's the subject of my conversation this week with Thad Haight of the Stargate Weekly and Delta Flyer podcasts. Thad and I talk about Trek's portrayal of neuroatypical characters in Trek and other sci-fi shows, and how those characters have been real-life inspirations and sources of strength for fans all over the world. I hope you enjoy the interview. If you do, subscribe to us on your listening platform of choice and stop by our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod to become a member of the crew. We will be resuming normal updating to the Patreon next week. I promise. It's been a hell of a summer. I met Ethan Peck, but we're getting back on the wagon. So get ready to feel all the feels. And with that, let's get underway. Returning to the show today, he's one half of the hosting team behind Stargate Weekly and the Delta Flyer podcast, along with his broadcasting partner, Stuart Hollis. It's Thad Haight. Thad, welcome back to the show. Well, it's glad to be back. Good to have you aboard. Um, you just got back from uh, STLV, that's Star Trek Las Vegas. What was that like? It was amazing. It's my favorite week of the year. How many times have you gone? This was my third year. Okay, cool. It was going to be a one-time thing, but, well. <laughs> but you just got hooked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something that I, uh, I've never been, and I, and I really want to go, and something that always kept me from going was that I thought it would be just exorbitantly crazy expensive, and I got kind of uh, pensive, and I'm not trying to rhyme all my words here, but uh, <laughs> because I wasn't able to go this year, and I started kind of idly flipping through Expedia, and I was like, wait a minute, you can probably you can get to Vegas for pretty cheap, and the uh, yes. hotel, depending on where you stay, isn't that bad either. Yeah, uh, so that's the one that's the one really nice thing about it being in Vegas is there are always cheap flights to Las Vegas. Yeah. The the big thing, if you are planning to go. Uh, you can certainly stay in the convention hotel. There are advantages. You can just snumble right up to your room from the bar. That's great. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it costs a lot of money. And yeah. there are much cheaper hotels in Vegas, including right across the street is the Gold Coast Hotel, which is half the price. Oh, really? Okay. Well, there you go. You can just stumble across the street then, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I saw like a news thing about um, like grasshoppers or something. There was uh, on the streets... Uh, I think like the weekend of or like the weekend before. Did you have any? Uh, did you have any run-ins with uh, any insects? So the the huge grasshopper thing happened the weekend before because okay. I think I saw four the entire week. Okay. Admittedly, one of them was in the hallway in my hotel, so like they were around. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, and, and uh, admittedly, four grasshoppers is more than I had ever seen there before. But I never saw a swarm. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of the uh, the social media videos were uh, a little little chilling. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't mind bugs necessarily, but that's a lot of that's a lot of bugs. <laughs> I was joking that they were heralding our arrival. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, which which sign, which seal is that again? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, I'll definitely have to try to get there uh, some year, but uh, it's cool that you've made a tradition out of that. Um, on this season of Enterprising Individuals, we've been focusing on the issue of representation on Star Trek, both in the casting of actors, but also uh, in the characters and plot lines that we see on the show. And one aspect of that representation has been seeing characters on Star Trek shows that aren't traditionally neurotypical. Autism uh, or autism spectrum disorder you know, affects almost 25 million people globally. I think according to the CDC, uh, they say that autism affects um, an estimated 1 in 59 children in the U.S. So it stands to reason that a lot of people who are autistic are also Star Trek fans. Can you talk about your personal experiences with autism? Well, uh, I've been on the autism spectrum all my life. That is how it uh -huh. works. You don't yeah. catch autism, uh, despite right. what some <laughs> yes. people might think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're not going to take a get a vaccine get vaccinated and all of a sudden become autistic. That doesn't <laughs> That's happen. Right. Check checkmate. Yeah. What, what what if there was a vaccine against autism? Uh -oh. Yeah. Well, if it were an actual disease you could catch, then maybe they could do that. But that's <laughs> it's uh, oh, what autism basically is is 
it's just a neurological condition. Your brain works differently from uh, quote unquote normal or for a much better term, neurotypical person who has what is considered the typical brain design, I guess, is the allocation wiring, whatever you want to use to call it. (laughs) Uh, So people with autism tend to be uh, and the one other thing that is important to note is that it is a spectrum. There is are great differences between different people with autism. It, it represents itself in different ways. Some people have what's called high functioning autism, where they are, which in and of itself can be a bit of a problematic term, but it means that you are mostly neurotypical, but you have a few differences. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, it's low functioning, meaning, which again, not really sure that's the right way to say it because it's not that they're not functioning. They just function in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and those are people uh, on, on towards the lower end. You have people that have problems communicating and in some cases do not communicate in any obvious way at all. Uh, people with autism tend to have issues with communication uh, with uh, reading and expressing emotions that doesn't mean that we don't have emotions we just aren't always the best at understanding them and uh tend to be focused on specific things to the exclusion of all else uh also tend to have overly sensitive to things like light and sound and taste Mm. Uh, and for me i mean uh growing up in the 90s with what is now considered a high functioning autism what at one time was referred to as Asperger syndrome, but then has been adopted into the whole autism spectrum, which is good because uh, the guy that Asperger syndrome is named for uh, was a Nazi who like experimented <laughs> on little kids. So let's not use his yeah, name for a disease. Let's drop that. <laughs> disease is the wrong term, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> um, but so I wasn't actually even diagnosed until I was in middle school because in the 90s, that it just wasn't as well known as it is today right uh but for me as a kid i was always different i was always the outsider the person who didn't quite understand how to interact socially with other people which as you know later when i was diagnosed and was able to read it up i'm like oh well that makes a lot of sense uh but because of that i related very much to uh several Star Trek characters. Uh, The big one for me, because TNG was the first Star Trek I watched, is Data. Because Data doesn't understand emotion. Data doesn't know how to interact with people socially. And that resonated very much with me, that there was someone like me who had this important job on Star Trek. Yeah, I've heard that specifically about Data. And, you know, we've met before in person at Shore Leave, and we had some good conversations. You attend a lot of conventions, and Uh you're dressing up, and you're getting pictures with people. At first blush, it doesn't seem like you'd be somebody who would experience isolation or social awkwardness associated with a spectrum disorder. Well, that's because you didn't know me when I was a kid. Uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What it comes down to is, for a lot of people, especially on the higher end, is uh, as you grow older and get more experience, you tend to develop coping mechanisms. You tend to sure. learn the behaviors that you're supposed to use, even if they don't become intuitive to you. So yes, at first glance, most people who meet me as an adult have no idea. And that's just because over years I have learned what are the proper behaviors and etiquettes to go on. But I still, facial expressions are almost, are like if someone's smiling, I can you usually mean that, know that it means they're happy, but like the nuances of facial expressions are really hard for me. Making eye contact is almost impossible for me. Like I'll I'll, I'll like force myself to do it, but it has to be a conscious effort. Sure, that sort of thing. Sure. So it's that idea of you basically learning to uh, cope with typicals, basically, like you said before, you know, people who have autism, their brains just work in a sort of different way. Mm-hmm. But since they're in the minority, then they've got to basically put up with regular quote unquote people. Yeah. And we come back again to Star Trek. That's basically what Data <laughs> yeah. has to do. That's <laughs> yeah. basically what the doctor on Voyager has to do. That's what Seven of Nine has to do. That's to a slightly lesser extent. That's what Odo on Deep Space Nine had to do. And then we come to the character that 
probably I am probably most like on Star Trek. Uh, that's Reg Barkley, who obviously sure. in the late 80s, early 90s, they weren't even considering that he would be on the autism spectrum. But in my opinion, the character of Reg Barkley is autistic. It's amazing, too. I mean, yeah, like you said, I don't think that they were really consciously thinking about it. But the way that they've drawn some of these characters and how they just seem to sort of fit into that kind of uh, that archetype or, or show those behaviors. If you Google Star Trek and autism, uh, and if you do, ignore the very first result you get, which is a medium okay. post from a guy who wants you to buy his book. But he's not about being PC, people. So I just went right, right past that one. But, but if you look <laughs> at the other results, uh, there's pages and pages of people asking or speculating um, if such and such a character or a species is supposed to be, um, you know, autistic or representative of that in Trek. And the majority of that debate does swirl around the character of of Data. And I think that, like, you know, if I've heard interviews or read interviews with Spiner uh, later on with him saying, well, that wasn't really on anybody's mind at all. But he's also had many, many, many fans come up to him and tell him what an inspiration that he was. Uh, for people who were suffering uh, from autism and Asperger's syndrome and sort of seeing themselves uh, in that character of Data who, who struggles to you know understand these emotions. Yes, and uh, I've actually, because I've been to s- several conventions, I've actually seen people come to, up to him at panels and say things like that. And yeah. uh, the, the, way he, the way he says it is, it, me, it, it still means a lot to him that he could be that, even if it was be that person for people, even if it was completely unintentional. And the same, uh, Jerry Ryan also uh, has, has gotten some of that, and she, it means a, a lot to her, especially because she, one of her children, I'm actually not sure if she has more than one child or not, but she at least has one, and uh, that child is autistic. Oh, okay. So it means a lot to her. Yeah, that's incredible. I heard that uh, Oliver Sacks, uh, the neurologist, visited the uh, TNG set at one point to meet with uh, Brent Spiner specifically because he was like in the process of writing a book about autism and spectrum disorder. And one of his like patients, his case studies um, had mentioned that they felt like they could really relate to that character of data. I certainly it certainly makes sense. I mean, I I know I'm far from the first person to say that. And there are many people (laughs) that feel the same way. Something that I've always wondered about Data is that, you know, his whole uh, bit or his the way he's drawn as a character is that he has, uh, quote unquote, no emotions. But is that really true? Like, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> good, good answer. <laughs> uh, I guess we can just move on. <laughs> there are so many things that he does that yeah. are our emotions. So it's, it's yeah. very complicated. And there are also things where. When he finally gets his emotion chip, one of the first things he know, he he experiences is something that tastes bad, and I don't think that's an emotion. <laughs> yeah, it's just preference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just always that always kind of bugged me because uh, you know maybe he's experiencing emotions, but he doesn't uh, know how to describe them, um, which is in itself kind of a, a pathology. But he's definitely experiencing something, and it, it also brings up the question of if emotions are um, something specific like emotions or are they just a factor of of self-awareness and ego which data certainly has well that's a little more uh uh psychological than i've really given much thought on but i would say (laughs) probably yeah i would think that you can't really separate emotions from the rest of your character they are part of you so yeah i would i would agree with that and there are just many instances on TNG where data experiences things that are emotional, uh, whether it's, I mean, he may not say that he may not view it that way, but just the way he, I mean, honestly, just the, the way that he becomes attached to the, the, the rest of the crew is in and itself an emotional attachment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, his self-awareness uh, sometimes I think borders on uh, emotion. There's a great uh, part in um, The Measure of a Man where uh, he's on trial, of course, and Picard is asking him about his medals and asking him, like, isn't it weird that a robot, you know, with no emotions would keep his medals? And Data's like, is is that vanity? Like, he's like, he's, he's worried that he's being vain. Like, yes. you, you have to have self-awareness and emotion to feel that way. 
Yeah. Well, the message of inclusion and acceptance in Star Trek fits naturally, I think, with the idea of people being different, not just physically, but psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, often there's an alien race that you see on, on a series that has different customs or thinks differently than what humans are used to. But Starfleet and the Federation's whole thing is respecting people's cultures and ways of life, which I think is a great metaphor for accepting the non-neurotypical as well. Do you know yes. if there's ever been an on-screen character or that's been uh, confirmed to have autism uh, in, in Star Trek? I do not believe so. Um, yeah. I, honestly, until... Because in well, TOS, the basic... I mean, autism existed. I mean, well, autism has always existed. But yeah. like the knowledge of autism existed in the days of TOS, but not to the extent that it is today. And even in the 80s and 90s for TNG, DS9, Voyager era, it was not... It was starting to become... A diagnosis much more uh yeah. but still uh, and i think also in that time and there are still people who view it this way uh the thought would have been that by the 23rd century 23rd or 24th century they would have cured neurological disorders <laughs> interesting which quote unquote uh, cured sure yes sure which uh is a whole other thing that uh we can get into at least a little here that it doesn't need to be cured. It's not a disease. It's not something that's wrong with people. Their minds just work differently. But the school, the prevailing school of thought until recently was that it did need to be cured. And there are still people that believe that. And that, well, that bothers me a lot. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. How do you think that an autistic person or a person with a spectrum disorder would uh, would do in, in Federation society or in Starfleet? Well, um, look at... Uh, Look at Reg Barkley. Uh, yeah. He's he clearly displays autistic tendencies uh, to a stronger extent than than some. Like certainly, uh, I would say that he has he has displays far more autistic behaviors than I do, for instance. Uh, because I, I, while I do not consider myself socially adept, I don't think that I would stand out in the same way that Barkley does. But yeah. he clearly has these behaviors but that's okay the crew is willing to work with him people are willing to accept him for who he is yeah, uh sure. and i would say especially uh on when after tng on voyager where he you know works with the voyager crew to help with all the to communicate with them and to bring them home i think that shows the best growth in his character and shows that he has become accepted as just one of them and that that sort of thing is how I would like to view the entire thing. Uh, I mean, how I would like to view that in the 24th century, people would react to people on the spectrum who are not who are neuroatypical. Another sure. example would be on Discovery, uh, Sylvia Tilly. Uh, her character mm. is specifically not on the autism spectrum. They have said that, but yeah. she does bis- display a lot of behaviors that are like that. Yeah. And she is also accepted for who she is. And they, the crew work with her. They adapt to interact with her the best way that works for her. And she's an important character and an important part of the group. And that's what I'd like to see happen for all of us. Yeah, that's another one. I, I don't know if it's just the way that Google search results work, but after data... Uh, Tilly was, I think, the number two person that I saw people speculating. A lot of think pieces about, like, finally, we've got a true uh, character on the spectrum in Star Trek. Uh, And I think it's great that, you know, like Data and other characters, um, she's inspiring people. But yeah, Mary Wiseman has specifically said, like, well, we weren't really trying to do that. But if it uh, inspires people, then that's great. Exactly. I think that, um, you know, another example of a non-neurotypical character would be Mr. Spock. Um, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he himself is sort of neuroatypical in that he's from two different civilizations and from mm-hmm. two different uh, social traditions uh, in relation to uh, expressing his emotions. Yes. And that's a very good example uh, because for a number of reasons. But unlike Data, who technically isn't supposed to have emotions... Yeah. Spock does have emotions. He just doesn't show them. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because uh, 
you know, it's a long uh, history or tradition of doing that in Vulcan society. But instead of like, I know a lot of times um, there's pressure on people who are atypical to have to pass like in regular society. And the Vulcans are actually kind of doing the opposite. They're sort of repressing their emotions because they're doing it for our benefit, you know, because uh-huh. they're like, we're totally, we're nutso. Look out, we're loco. <laughs> so instead, uh, we act this way in order to, you know, to. Uh, other people can suffer us like as a people well i mean the only really emotive vulcan we ever see in star trek is cybok so if he's an example <laughs> of what they all are like then i can understand yeah but <laughs> but oh you don't like cybok cybok's pretty cool i'd cybok could be uh i'd have a beer with cybok <laughs> i feel no desire to share my pain with him <laughs> he does want to he does want to get real uh, detailed about uh, people's pain though yeah um yeah, you know, the Vulcans are often seen, you know, to be cold and unemotional and, and have no empathy, uh, which I think, um, of course, isn't true about uh, people with uh, spectrum disorders. But um, I can see it it, is often the connection seen that way. It, yeah. uh, that is a that is a common myth or misconception about people who on the autism spectrum is that we're basically like robotic people who feel no emotion. And yeah. that is, <laughs> well, it can't be farther from the truth. And <laughs> We just don't necessarily always know how to deal with our emotions, and certainly we have a lot more trouble understanding other people's emotions. That's something that comes up uh, often, I think, in the character of Seven of Nine. Um, There's – I can't remember what it is now, but there's an episode where there's like a cocktail party on the holodeck or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Seven is there, and uh, the captain's like, hey, just go talk to somebody, you know, just have some fun. And she says something, I don't know, that's really rude or something. Uh, and the doctor's like, so they don't uh, teach any, uh, they don't teach any like conversational skills, I guess, in the uh, collective. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's exactly what that, honestly, that's, that's how I feel at most parties. Unless I, unless there are people <laughs> yeah. there that I actually know that I enjoy talking to, yeah. uh, in which I can like go off and talk to them and sort of ignore everything else. Uh, I, I have no idea what to do. I just sort of stand there. <laughs> Uh, the character of Seven of Nine, or, or Annika, I guess, is not, um, you know, as we said before, um, pegged specifically as somebody uh, who's autistic. But they, I think by that point in the uh, process of writing the show, had to have positioned her specifically in order to tell those kinds of stories. Like they'd have something where, you know, her cortical implant malfunctions or something like that, uh, and she starts acting a certain way. But it must have been in the minds of the writers an analog for these real world behaviors. Oh, absolutely. Because the, the way they show her is as someone who had not developed emotions because she had been assimilated as a mm-hmm. young child. Mm-hmm. And it's by portraying her as an adult who doesn't understand emotion and doesn't know how to express or react to it. It, I mean, it had to have been something that at least some of them thought about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, you know, everybody is in some way, you know, touched by this or knows somebody. So they'd have to have been thinking about that. What, what do you uh-huh. think? Um, so, I mean, if we hold on to that aspect of her character, uh, what do you think they're going to uh, portray her like in the uh, upcoming Star Trek Picard series? Well, uh, based on the, you know, like 10 second <laughs> yeah. that we see here in the trailer, uh, she yeah. does seem to have uh, developed quite a more quite quite a lot here she doesn't speak in the sort of stilted unemotional voice that she had on voyager yeah. uh which makes sense because it's been 20 years so she's had more time to acclimate and be around people and develop those how to communicate and react socially to other people yeah. uh and i can say personally uh from my point of view uh that makes perfect sense for me as someone who has, after, you know, 30 odd years of living around other people, developed a lot of the social skills and learned how to have the interact with people in a way that doesn't seem, I guess, odd is the right way to put say that. Sure. And that's so that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, that continues in the same analog uh, for me, because that's how I feel now as an adult compared to how I used to feel when I was younger and was more of a stood out a lot more, I guess I should say. Okay. Interesting. 
Do you think, <laughs> just speculating about Picard, do you think any other uh, Voyager uh, characters will uh, be making an appearance? Um, do you think Do you think Chakotay is around anywhere? Probably not. In fact, I hope not. Yeah, uh, I kind of hope uh, not too. <laughs> uh, Chakotay Seven, I I do not ship that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In yeah. fact, the, one of the greatest things that ever happened in the uh, uh, novel continuity, which because the novels have their own continuity with each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, post to the series, and the very first Voyager novel set after the series. In like the second chapter, they immediately end that relationship. <laughs> as soon as the fireworks stop when they come home, then it's basically like, yes. yeah, let's uh, see other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I can get behind that. I think uh, I was I was surprised uh, to read, but also uh, it's interesting that you also mentioned yourself that Odo is a character that people um, look at. Uh, as mm-hmm. somebody like this, which I had never really considered before, but I guess when you think about it, he does have a certain um, uh, fixation on like on routine. Uh, mm-hmm. He is somebody who is literally pretending to uh, be a humanoid, you know, somebody something yes. that he isn't, and he constantly talks about how social behaviors are basically just beyond him uh, and something that he has to sort of fake to fit in with the crew. Yes, uh, all of that is very accurate. I would say Odo is less like less of a strong example than, say, Data or Seven of Nine or even the Doctor, who are in their own way sort of – well, Seven of Nine isn't an artificial life form, but in the same way that they are basically developing as adults these behaviors through interaction that they never had to – do yeah. before uh odo has interacted with people his entire well humanoid the entire humanoid part of his life mm-hmm. uh but we don't actually know how old odo is so that's a whole other issue uh yeah yeah <laughs> like we know he's not you know super young because he was around he was the chief of security during the Cardassian occupation but we don't but like he look i i think odo is younger than he appears because he appears oh, okay. to be he appears to be someone's like you know middle-aged but i don't think he's quite that old i'd say he's probably i'd say and again age on a on a changeling becomes complicated but i'd say his age from when he started being a humanoid is probably more like his 30s okay interesting see i i would have gone the other way and said that uh you know, if he like you know had his mind wiped or lost his memory at some point, he could be hundreds of years old. Oh yeah, we could stick him in a prequel show. Yeah. So maybe he, he shows be... up on Section Thirty One or something like that. Get you know Renee Obergeon was hanging around. I am all for that, <laughs> but I'm not sure how that how that would how you would like make that work with the established canon of he <laughs> adopted his face to look like Doctor Mora. But... Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can't bring uh, Renee back, then what's the point? <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping for uh, him at least to voice a role on Lower Decks. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Even if it's not Odo, because he does a lot of voice acting. So I think that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Are there any other Trek characters uh, you could think of that um, you might theorize uh, that were on the spectrum? I mean, in the same way that we have Seven of Nine, uh, I I would say that uh, the character of Icheb on Voyager also displays a lot of the same behaviors for the same reason sure the the, the way they position a character like uh robin leffler in Mm -hmm. that she has you know very particular sort of um interests and she's got her her rules or whatever her robin's Mm -hmm. laws and we don't see her for very much but it's like she i think they comment about like oh that's so and so she seems to get along very well with specific people like wesley you know in in the episode that they're in together that's I hadn't considered that, but that's definitely a possibility. Uh, the way that she acts and has her very structured life. I would say that also Wesley himself does display some characteristics, mm-hmm. um, especially when he's, you know, in the early seasons when he's the, the kid that's obsessed with the various <laughs> parts of the, of the ship and all sure. that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we don't lie. We're Starfleet. 
Well, we often meet like one-off alien races on uh, Star Trek series who act, you know, quote unquote, weird. And like the mm-hmm. default weird for aliens tends to be an emotionally stilted kind of beep boop disposition. Mm-hmm. I, I, why don't we ever meet aliens who are like really friendly or like they're just total party animals? It's like, oh, no, I don't want to run into those guys. They're just going to have us up all night. Well, we do sometimes. Yeah, very sometimes, but it's almost always, you know, they look somewhat funny, and then it's like, what is this human love? Yeah, how many aliens did Captain Kirk teach what love was? <laughs> right. Well, that's in the charter. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so something else that always gets portrayed uh, in other fandoms as well is that uh, you know autistic people have superpowers. Of course, you know. They... I wish I had superpowers. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, what's your superpower? <laughs> okay, so. Uh, my friends actually joke that I do have uh, super hearing. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so what it is is a lot of people on the spectrum have hypersensitivity to various senses. Uh, hmm. For me, uh, I don't have much for vision. I know some people have a lot of trouble with bright lights. That's not been an issue for me. But huh. sound is a hypersensitive thing for me. I can't be around loud noises for too long. It really starts to get to me and in a reasonably quiet area i can hear people talking from much farther away than you would normally (laughs) listen to people talking that's why (laughs) that's why i have a friend who who says that i have superpowers also i can i do have highly sensitive taste which is really annoying actually because it means that like for instance if things have been in the refrigerator and have a, absorbed tastes from other things. A lot of oh. times, other people won't even notice it, but it, but it, like it's it's something that it means like, oh, I can't eat this. It tastes like sure. that other thing. Okay. Uh, so that that's another thing that happens to me. Um, also, with the sound sort of thing, like I like if I'm in a large group of people, like in a crowd or something, I have a lot of trouble listening to the person I'm talking to who's right in front of me because my I'm hearing parts of like. 20 different conversations okay. but because <laughs> i'll hear other people talking too and then i'll have trouble trying to focus on one particular voice yeah yeah but i'm not sure that that really counts as a superpower <laughs> yeah i don't think you'll be fighting crime in hell's kitchen anytime soon but uh, <laughs> uh something that often uh characterizes a person who has a, a autism or spectrum disorder is that they know a lot about you know a particular topic or a field and i'd imagine that for a lot of sci-fi fans that are on the spectrum star trek is the thing that they really get into i don't know if you have seen guilty oh yeah that's you i don't know if you've seen (laughs) or heard of the uh film that came out a couple years ago called please stand by i've heard about it i have not seen it yeah in that film uh, dakota fanning and i believe it's a fictional story although it might have uh, be based in some part on um, real people but it's uh, she plays a character who is um, on the spectrum and she really enjoys Star Trek and so it sort of balances uh, her, you know the problems that she's having sort of adapting and uh, fitting in and also there's a Star Trek like script writing contest this is how you know it's fiction there's a Star Trek script writing contest and like the grand prize is like a hundred thousand dollars so she wants to enter this contest yeah, no, that's uh, definitely fiction <laughs> that's never <laughs> happened but yeah and I so mean, they you know, accepted scripts but they only gave you money if you, they actually used the script yeah right they gotta they gotta use that thing and it was never uh, that much <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, I've heard I have not seen it myself either. Um, I probably should watch it. Uh, I don't know. It seems kind of cheesy, but I guess if I want to get educated about this kind of thing, I, even if it's a movie, I should probably check it out. I've heard from a lot of people that it is um, really sweet, though, and kind of a touching story. I've heard the same thing. I've just been worried about watching it because I was I, I was afraid that it would just annoy me. Yeah. Are you often offended or find yourself looking at uh, media d- depictions of uh, autism and being like, come on? Not all the time, but there definitely are examples. Um, I would say one that really comes to mind, and they don't actually—they never actually say it. In fact, they specifically say that they didn't intend this, but it doesn't actually matter in this case because it's what appears that way. Uh, the character of Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory really bothers <laughs> me. Yeah. I watched it when it first came out, but I, I started—I eventually came to realize that it— 
it, it was mostly just mocking people and not actually yeah. like it started being it, I, at first I thought it was funny and it does make nerdy references. But at the same time, it really is just a show about mocking nerds. I think, well, I can't disagree with that. I think their decision to basically just not answer the question or just say that's not what we're thinking about is both good and bad. I think that they, I think it's good that they don't want to um, misrepresent or take responsibility for sensitively representing somebody on what is essentially just, you know, their sci fi um, or a sitcom comedy show. But at the same time, it's like the biggest or one of the biggest shows or comedies on TV. So what a great mm-hmm. chance for you to embrace um, that portrayal and educate people, but they don't want to do that either. Right. But what it comes down to is even if they specifically say that he is not on the spectrum, he, they, just have him display so many traits of that and then yeah. play them all off for laughs. That's ha ha. Look at this guy. And <laughs> yeah. it, it really rubs me the wrong way. There um, is a character on a show uh, called alphas. Uh, did you ever watch alphas when it was on? I have not seen that one. No, Ooh, you should totally watch it. Uh, it is like many shows on the sci-fi network. Uh, was canceled way too soon. Uh, I think it Shocker. lasted about yeah. I think it lasted two seasons. But it's sort of like a more practical X Men. It's like an X Men in the semi real world. And there's a character on that show named Gary, um, who has the ability to basically um, he can receive um, electromagnetic uh, spectrum waves the way that we do light and sound. Uh, and so he could basically like, you know, read the Internet with his mind. But another facet of his character is that he um, is um, on the uh, on the high end of the spectrum, like level two mm-hmm. or three. Uh, and he is really sensitively portrayed um, by the actor Ryan Cartwright and by the writers. I mean, somebody did their homework. Somebody um, knows people has family members. They must because it's a very fascinating uh, portrayal and it isn't just like there for flavor in the character like his part of his arc is him trying to get uh, independence and trying to sort of fit in with this you know team of other they don't say mutants but they're kind of mutants um, and learning to like get responsibility as this guy who is uh, I, what do they do they're a cri- not really a crime fighter but they sort of are uh, looking for other people to help that have their abilities as well it's a Man, I don't have it on DVD, but I should. It's a pretty good show. Yeah, I may need to check that out. I will say one example that I think does portray uh, someone with autism very well uh, is the Netflix show Atypical. Oh, okay, yeah. It is a comedy, but it's not... It The fact that the main character is autistic is not in and of itself played for laughs. It's just the character, the show is about him, but... You're never laughing at him because of his autism. It's just a comedy in the sense that it's a sitcom, so it has humorous situations. Yeah, right. I don't think the actor um, is on the spectrum, but I know that they mm-hmm. no, some he's of not. the some of the other um, supporting characters and side characters, um, they did uh, cast uh, actors who are on the spectrum for that. Yeah, week. and I'm less. I I I I understand representation is important, and I I applaud the idea of using autistic actors. I am less concerned about someone who is not autistic portraying someone who is as long as they do it well. You don't think that, um, you know, autistic uh, actors are are missing out on parts because uh, neurotypicals are taking them from them. I mean, they may be, uh, but (laughs) I I don't think that's a I I don't know. It, It doesn't personally bother me to see someone who is to see someone see someone who is neurotypical portraying someone with autism on, in a movie if they are doing it well in the same way that an actor with autism, depending on where on the spectrum they are, doesn't necessarily have to portray someone who is autistic because they're an actor and they sure. can act. Sure. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> well, uh, Scarlett Johansson's just going to snap up all those parts anyway. So. Right. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks so much for talking with me today about this. Uh, if people want to learn more about uh, this, w- where can they go? There are a lot of places. One thing I would say is do not uh, go to the uh, – there There are various autism groups out there. I would say avoid the group known as Autism Speaks uh, okay. because they are uh, – they have sense uh, – distance themselves a little bit from that. But they started out as a group – 
searching for a cure. So that leaves a bad taste in a lot of people who actually are on the spectrums. Uh, It's they started out as an advocacy group for parents of people on the spectrum looking to basically cure it. Yeah. And and that, so I generally just, I avoid them altogether. I I certainly wouldn't give them money, that sort of thing. Uh, But there are, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not too into the different uh, groups. I just know for, for sure, not that one. Uh, but, (laughs) But there are a lot of resources on the internet that can give you good information. I mean, Avoid the ones that look like they're, you know, talking about, you know, how autistic people are a plague. You know, don't go there. But. <laughs> I actually um, went on YouTube and, you know, YouTube can be a, a crap game sometimes. Um, I, I was researching uh, the Dred Scott decision for a show that we did on backtracking a while back. And I played a fun game called, whoops, I accidentally watched a racist video. And you can just kind of roll <laughs> the dice on some of the videos. But I, I was uh, researching uh, autism spectrum disorder on YouTube. And I found a surprisingly um, a good amount of uh, educational uh, and informative videos. Um, yeah, if you see Jenny McCarthy, you know, studio the other uh, way. Yeah, but, no, don't. But there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of videos that sort of lay it out. There are um, shorter ones that are easier to understand. There are like longer talks. Um, I'm not a big fan of TED Talks, but there are a couple TED Talks, um, both about the subject and by people uh, who are autistic themselves. So, um, yeah, I would point people to to YouTube if they want to know more. And I would point out it's not very well known because it's not a big it, it is not a very large movement. But there is an autistic pride day, which is the 18th of June. And uh, Autism Awareness Month is uh, April. Yes. Well, uh, thanks again for joining me. Where can people find you online? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, I am at Tyrannicus. That's T-Y-R-A-N-I-C-U-S. I'm very active. I mostly talk about Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> you can also f- find uh, my podcasts. Uh, it's uh, Delta Flyer, which is Star Trek Voyager rewatch podcast. Um, on Wherever you find your podcast, it's just Delta Flyer. Uh, we're currently on hiatus, hiatus, but we'll be coming back for season three of Voyager soon. Wow. Uh, and then my other podcast, uh, Stargate Weekly, which is a Stargate rewatch podcast, uh, also currently on, on hiatus, but we'll be finishing up season three very soon on that one. And that's also in all of your regular podcast locations. That's great. Well, thanks. Good talking to you. Thanks again. You're very welcome. 